This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 1 to 11. 1 Peter 4 1 to 11 and it's up on the screen. Therefore since Christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their recklessness, wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, good morning. Well, it's good to see everyone here. Um, good uh, number of people here and, and welcome to if you're uh, watching from home. Um, I've been doing a bit of a survey over the last few weeks as I've been preparing for, uh, for today. And I've been asking people... What the, uh, what the first thing that comes to mind is when they... Oops, sorry, I've gone too, uh, too far already. That wasn't a good start. I've been asking people what the first thing that comes to mind when they hear the word hospitality. And the answers I've been getting have been around the idea of generously um, welcome, welcoming into your home, um, having a meal together... Um, making your, your space available. And I, I've been really encouraged to hear those responses because we've certainly tried to be a church that, uh, that encourages this way of thinking. The phrase, grab a chicken, is, uh, is part of the culture here. Some of you are laughing and nodding your heads. You know what it means. If that's a new expression to you, if you have no idea what grabbing chickens is all about, um, a number of years ago, uh, Phil Pallas um, presented the idea of 
um, th this idea of connecting together over a, a very simple meal. It didn't have to be a, a, a dinner party, something really formal, just the idea of on the way home, grabbing a barbecue chicken from Coles or, or Woolworths or do they sell barbecue chickens at Spa? I don't know, I don't never go in there. Um, but getting a chicken, um, just keeping it very simple and connecting together. And before I go any further, I want to just stop and really encourage you to keep doing that. It's a really vital part of, of us as a church. Before I go any further, let's uh, just have a moment in prayer. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to gather in your name. And God, once again, I would just pray that uh, if there's anything that I've prepared this morning that is not what you want me to say, just somehow stop me from saying that. Um, if there's things that you do want me to say, may I just be a vessel of what you would want us to hear this morning. Thank you for the challenge that it's been to me. And I just pray that you would challenge us as a church this morning. Amen. All right. What I want you to do is have a, a quick kind of look around. Don't do it in a creepy way. Just sort of discreetly sort of look down, see who's sitting in your row to your left and your right. You might just sort of turn your head, see who's sitting behind you. Now, when you look around, maybe you see someone that you know really well, someone that you've had into your home lots of times, you've shared lots of meals together, they might be someone in the same connect group as you. Or, uh, or when you look around, maybe you've seen some people who are sitting kind of around you and, and you've seen them before, you, you know that they're, you know, you recognise them as someone from NVBC, but you don't know their name. Maybe you've said hello to them in the coffee line or as you were walking in or out, but you don't really know them. Or maybe when you looked around, you saw some people that you think, I don't think I've ever seen that person before. You might be wondering if it's maybe their first time or they've been coming for a while and you just haven't sort of got to know them yet. Or maybe it's you that's quite new to the church and when you look around you realise, well, I don't actually know anyone here and I'm hoping that this place does turn out to be quite a hospitable church and you're hoping that someone will show some hospitality to you. Or perhaps when you looked around you saw someone and you thought to yourself, ah, there's, uh, there's such and such, they are a really hospitable person but it's alright for them because they've got, you know, a really great house for entertaining or you're thinking, well, it's all right for them because, you know, they're a really good cook. I mean, you might be horrified at the idea of having someone in your, uh, in your house. Regardless of what you thought as you looked around and regardless of who you saw, I'm, I'm sure that you would agree that hospitality is a really vital part of any church community. Our theme at the moment is Reconnect. And, and what a great way to reconnect with people that maybe you haven't seen for a couple of years because of COVID, or to connect for the first time with people that you, that you don't know yet. But this isn't something that's just important to churches. Hospitality is, is a significant part of the culture that we, that we live in, um, to the point where we've built an entire industry around this. And maybe you work in the hospitality industry, or maybe you know someone who works in the hospitality industry. You can study hospitality at uh, Arimba TAFE. I looked it up. There's um, certificate and diploma courses that you can do in hospitality. It's something that is an important part of our culture. 
When I looked up um, a definition of what the hospitality industry um, in Australia is, I found this definition. So let's have a look at this and see what you think. The hospitality industry refers to a variety of businesses and services linked to leisure and customer satisfaction. A defining aspect of the hospitality industry is also the fact that it focuses on ideas of luxury, pleasure, enjoyment and experiences as opposed to catering for necessities or essentials. So if we were to go by, by that definition there, it's looking a little bit like hospitality is, it's, it's a kind of nice thing to, uh, to experience. I mean, it focuses on luxury, pleasure, enjoyment and experiences. But maybe it's not such a, a necessary or essential thing, right? I mean, how important is it? If we were to look at all the themes spoken of right throughout the Bible and we, we were to sort of rank hospitality in there, where, where, would you, where would you put it? Amongst things like salvation and prayer and the consequences of sin, God's sovereignty, um, faith and obedience, God's revelation, all those things, where would you rank hospitality? Would you say, well, look, I think it's a, it's a pretty important part of it. You know, it's got to be somewhere, you know, around here. Or you might say, well, look, you know, it, it's an important thing. But in the grand scheme of all those um, different things in the Bible, it's, it's probably not one of the key things. It's probably down here. Where would, you, where would you rank it? What if I was to say that hospitality is one of the absolute key themes of the Bible? Now, that sounds like a bit of a stretch, right? Well, I want you to stay with me this morning. What if I told you that the true meaning of hospitality that Peter was getting at was something far, far deeper than that definition that I just showed you? And it was far deeper than even connecting with other people from the church here. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to go there, it's even deeper than grabbing chickens. That's how big this thing is. Now, you're probably aware that the New Testament was written in mostly Greek, a little bit of Aramaic, and it was translated into English. So what is the original word that was was used? In that passage that Roseanne read, the original Greek uses the word philoxenia, or philoxenia, and it literally translates into a lover of strangers or a lover of the foreigner. And it, it wasn't referring so much um, to strangers as other people from, from within our own tribe, our own social network, our own, own church community. Um, it was referring to people outside of our community. Throughout the Bible, the term stranger or alien referred to someone who was an outsider, someone who had little or no rights, Um, maybe no permanent home, they had no statehood or citizenship, someone who had different beliefs, um, someone who didn't share the same worldview. See, in in biblical times, when when this passage was was written, um, if you had to travel anywhere outside of your own sort of little um, homeland, unless you were a very, very important person or royalty or something like that, you'd be relying on the kindness 
of, of other people, of strangers, to have all of your needs met. Now, there's a, there's a guy, uh, he's a, a biblical historian, his name's um, Rodney K. Duke, and he writes about this sort of stuff and, uh, you know, what the uh, culture was like at the time. And um, he says this, in the absence of a professional hospitality industry, the survival of the traveller really did depend entirely upon the kindness of strangers. The plight of aliens was desperate. They lacked membership in the community, be it tribe, city, state or nation. As an alienated person, the traveller often needed immediate food and lodging. Widows, orphans, the poor or sojourners from other lands often lacked the familial or community status that provided a landed inheritance, the means of making a living and protection. In the ancient world, the practice of hospitality meant graciously receiving an alienated person into one's land, home or community and providing directly for that person. Are you starting to get a bit more of an idea um, of what Peter was, was getting at in that, in that passage? There's another New Testament word that gets translated in English as hospitality. And that is the word xenodocia. Now, I, I don't know why I just pronounced that in an Italian accent. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a Greek word. It just sounds good. Xenodocia. It's got that sort of feel about it. It's a, it's a compound of two words. Um, it's a compound of the first word xenos, which literally translates to, to stranger or foreigner, or if you're being more specific, someone without the knowledge of, or someone without a sharing, is what it means. And the second part of the word is decamai, which on one level means to simply receive or accept, but at a deeper level, it can mean to take with the hand, to give ear to, embrace, and even to receive into one's family to bring up or educate. So if we were going by that definition of hospitality, we could sum it up into this expression here. Hospitality then extends even to taking by the hand and embracing into one's own family the stranger who has no share in or knowledge of one's own identity, life and values. That's what that passage was getting at. That's the meaning of the words. The overarching sense here is that that hospitality is, is something a lot bigger. It's, it's a love and concern for strangers, for people that you not only don't know, but people who perhaps don't share the same values as you or even the same beliefs. So here in our part of the world where, where we live now, who might be the strangers nowadays? Who are the people that are currently alienated from, from us? Well, it, uh, it might be that new family that uh, just moved in a few doors down from you who are desperately trying to find their place in this new community. Or it might be the Muslim family from down the road. Or it might be the single mum who has absolutely no family support. Or it might be the gay couple that live a couple of doors down from you. Or it might be the newly arrived refugees who don't speak much English. Or it might be the homeless woman that you drive past occasionally on the way home. Or it might be that annoying guy at work that always seems to have the polar opposite political view of everything you believe in. 
or it might just be the person sitting a couple of seats away from you this morning. With that in mind, I want to give you a, a different definition of, of hospitality. And this is, uh, I didn't write this, this is um, a guy named Professor David Gushy, and he writes this. I think this is great. This is the biblical meaning of hospitality. Making room for the stranger, especially those in most acute need. Such care must not be reduced to mere social entertaining, nor but may it be self-interested and reciprocal. Instead, biblical hospitality reaches out to the abject and lowly and expects nothing in return. Hospitality is not optional, nor should it be understood as a rare spiritual gift. Instead, it is a normative biblical practice that is learned by doing it. Are you starting to get a sense of what biblical hospitality is? It's, it's not always easy. It's not always going to be an enjoyable couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon eating barbecue chicken with a nice family from church. It's not always going to be easy. Roseanne um, reminded me a week or two ago, we were talking about this in our Connect group, and she reminded me of a story that I must admit I, I'd forgotten um, until she, she uh, talked about it. Um, when we lived in Canada, uh, we were there for 10 years, I was working as a youth pastor. And one Thursday night, I, uh, I came home from the senior high youth group that I used to run. I came home, I remember it was really late, it was probably around midnight. And Roseanne and our two kids, who were quite young at the time, were in bed. And I came in and woke Roseanne up and said, look, I just want you to know I've, I've brought a young guy home. He's been kicked out of his home. He's having some issues. I've brought him home. He's going to stay at our place tonight. He might be here for a couple of days. And I said, and look, just so you know, I've had to confiscate a couple of knives off him and I've taken all the knives out of the kitchen and I've hidden them. Now, she was home with two young kids. Now, understandably, she was not really excited about this uh, arrangement and neither was I, to be honest. But I knew it was the right thing to, uh, to do. See, if we're going to extend biblical hospitality, there's potentially going to be some risks. There's going to be inconvenience, there's probably going to be some sacrifice. It's not always going to be easy or enjoyable. So why on earth would we put ourselves out? Well, I said earlier that this is one of the strongest themes in the Bible. It actually is the central theme of the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, so far, we've, we've only really considered what this means in terms of ourselves. This question of, you know, could I accept into my home someone who doesn't share in or even know any of my identity, life and values? Now, that's a valid question, but it's not where we should start. Instead, we need to ask the question, how did God extend hospitality toward me? When we approach things from this angle we see that God has accepted us into his home. An entire planet full of people who don't share in his identity, life and values. He set the example of what it means to welcome and love the, the stranger. And that's exactly what God does for us as a whole and as individuals every moment of every day. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, hang on, Ian, you've got to understand that 
I am no longer a stranger to God. He calls me his heir, his, his son, his daughter. Now, that's, that's true, but I want you to remember a couple of things. Firstly, God reached out to you first, providing for you, extending hospitality to you before you responded to him. There's a passage that, or a verse that I'm sure you're all familiar with, and uh, it's, it's Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And secondly, he's extended his hospitality to everyone, regardless. So the Bible is just absolutely saturated with um, references to God's hospitality. And it's a hospitality that extends to the entire human race. It begins in Genesis chapter 1, where God extends hospitality and he provides food, shelter and companionship to, to Adam and Eve. And it runs right through the scriptures, story after story of God providing for us humans and sustaining us. Now, there's countless references that I could have chosen, and you'll probably see why I, uh, why I chose this one. It's from Psalm 104, and it says this, you send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labour. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin and bread to give them strength. You can see why I chose that. How good is God that not only does he give us the essentials, he gives us olive oil for our skin. How good is that? That's why I chose that one. You can see straight through me, can't you? What's the story that's woven through the entire Old Testament? This idea of God extending hospitality to probably the most alienated people on earth, the Israelites. And then through them, extending that hospitality to all people. Think about all the times where God provided for those alienated Israelite people. He redeemed them from Egypt, he fed and clothed them in the wilderness, he guided them into a land that they could call their own, and now God continues to do the same thing for all people, regardless of who they are. Matthew chapter 5, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus speaking, and he says this to the crowd that had gathered, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbours and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, I have to confess, I misinterpreted this passage for a long, long time. I always thought that this meant that God sent good things to the godly and the ungodly and he allowed kind of crappy things to happen to the righteous and the unrighteous. Now that is not what this passage means at all. Maybe that's how you've interpreted it as well. And this is a big difference. This isn't just semantics. Jesus was speaking here to a, a largely agrarian community, people who farmed for a living. They knew that the two things that they needed um, to survive were sun and rain. Now, I realise that the timing of this, it might be a little bit tough to convince you that rain is a blessing, I know that. Um, 
but it's true. Throughout the Bible, with maybe the, with the exception of Noah's flood, rain was a sign of blessing. And these people knew that they were the two things that they needed. So that changed my view of God. Basically, it says God sends good things and blessings to the godly and the ungodly, and God sends good things and blessings to the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, that totally changed the way I saw God. When Jesus said this, he was telling his audience to extend love and care to everyone in the same way that his heavenly Father had been doing for all mankind. Now, don't we just love it when we see good things happening to people we don't think deserve it? Don't lie, you you don't enjoy that at all. I, I don't want to see a show of hands, but does anyone else get frustrated when they see good things happening to to bad people, people having success that we don't believe they deserve. So we can fall into the trap of of thinking that God should send good things to the good people and bad things to the bad people, don't we? And notice how we always include ourselves in, in the good people side of that argument. Have you noticed that? But that is not the nature of God. On earth, and for us specifically here on the central coast, of Australia, this temporal home to which God has invited us, God has always been a gracious host to us here. He gives good things to all of his guests and even to the badly behaved guests. So we need to remember that God pours out his hospitality on all people. So when we see these good things happening to, to bad people, instead of getting frustrated at that, may that just be a reminder of the wonder of God, the love of God, the the grace of God. As you heard in that passage that Roseanne read, those people at some point down the track are going to have to give an account of what they did with uh, with those blessings, how they responded to them. So don't stress about that. When you see that happen, just let that be a reminder of how God is. Think, wow, God is so amazing that God God loves that person and blesses them, even, even that horrible person that we, you know, that we think doesn't deserve it. So let's wrap this thing up. I'd like to think that at the end of every sermon, we're challenged to some kind of action, challenged to grow or or mature in, in some way. Now, it might be a challenge to change our thinking or, or change our understanding of God or maybe deepen our love for God and for our fellow man, this is going to be a decidedly more practical call to action. And you know, sometimes a practical response can then foster a change of heart, and that'll deepen our love for our fellow man. Because let's face it, putting the needs of a complete stranger ahead of our own is not exactly something that comes natural to most of us, is it? Um, again, Roseanne gave me permission to, uh, to share this. When, when she was young, um, she used to spend almost every Sunday afternoon at her best friend's home. And after church, she would go home with this friend and she would spend the afternoon, she'd have lunch together and then her parents would pick her up late in the afternoon. And she was telling me that almost every Sunday, these people would have someone come and, and visit. It might have been another family from church, but often it was um, a work colleague in their family or, or just someone that needed a meal and, and some company. 
And yet Roseanne literally cannot remember a time where anyone was ever invited to her house for a meal when she was a kid. Even her best friend was never allowed to come. And so Roseanne had these two different models that, that she grew up with. And she was saying that right from a young age, she committed to, um, when she had a place of her own, that she would be more like her friend's family and, and try to have people over regularly. So if this whole concept is something new to you, then maybe you could start by committing to invite someone for a meal into your home once, once a month or once every six weeks if a month's too often or once a term. Just commit to once every whatever works, having someone come and, and have a meal with you and, and, and bless them. And if your home is not feasible to do that for whatever reason, then there's plenty of parks around. We've got beautiful beaches. Grab a chicken and go and have a picnic with someone. Or if this is already something that you're doing, maybe you could take some cues from some good friends of ours in Canada. And they've always committed to spending two meals of every week with people from outside of their family. Now, I remember them always, whenever you were over there, that have neighbours and, and, and people for, for meals, people who were passing through um, somewhere, they needed a place to stay for a night or two. But even more than just taking cues from these examples that I've used, may you follow the example that God has set since the dawn of time, extending his provision, love, his grace, his hospitality to every single one of us. Now, I, for a long, long time, I would talk about this idea of loving the sinner and hating the sin. You may use that yourself. You've probably heard it. I've been really challenged on that lately because when we see people as sinners, it's pretty hard to love them, especially if there's stuff that we hate about them. That's not what God called us to do. Christ called us to, to love God and, and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Can we start by, instead of seeing people as, as, as sinners whose sin we hate, if we start by seeing them as neighbours, that's a very different way of looking at someone as a neighbour instead of as a sinner. And maybe... Maybe hate the sin in your own life because it is really, really hard to love someone when there's something you hate about them. Can we commit to doing that? This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.